Hello everyone, my name is Oldar. Welcome to another episode of Ask Me About North Korea, a podcast about the most reclusive country in the world. In this podcast, I'm answering the most widespread questions about North Korean politics, society, and culture, in a short and concise manner, based on factual evidence. If you like this podcast, I would be grateful if you could share it with your friends, leave a positive review, make a donation, or subscribe. You can also visit the podcast website, www.askmeaboutdprk.wordpress.com. There you can access episode transcripts, as well as some other materials, such as book reviews, film recommendations, and online events. As the name of the podcast suggests, please feel free to ask me questions in your comments and reviews. I will do my best to answer them in the next episodes. And now, let's start. Yes, I have come back from my little summer break, and I'm ready to continue with my coverage of North Korea. I hope you've all been well in the course of June and that you are enjoying the summer. This week, I would like to talk about one of the most important recent political developments in North Korea. Specifically, I will talk about the revisions to the rules of the Workers' Party of Korea, VPK. They were made public and resurfaced on the professional DPRK Watchdog website only a couple of weeks ago, despite the fact that officially the VPK Congress, which is the highest decision-making body in North Korea, revised those rules in January. Since country is very secretive, these major text leaks happened only now. So, why does it matter? Well, the VPK's constitution, or rulebook, is one of the most important texts in North Korea. Naturally, like any party document, the VPK rulebook outlines the key concepts, obligations, and organizational structures which party officials must know. That said, the VPK in North Korea, like the CPC in China, plays the most crucial role in the national political system. The party is actually much more important than the cabinet of ministers, which is a merely technocratic institution responsible for the implementation of the party's decisions. It is the party that defines the main political, societal, ideological and economic priorities of the country's governance. Therefore, adjustments to this document are practically on par in importance with changes to the DPRK's constitution. So what did the North Korean elites change in that sacred text? And what would that mean for the country's political and societal development? To answer those questions, I would first group these changes and then see whether there are any connections between and within those groups. The first group of amendments to these rules is about the top leadership in the country, and they are the most interesting ones. Surely, the most shocking change which had been trumpeted in all international media outlets was the introduction of the position of the first secretary of the party central committee, or Kim Jong-un's deputy. It is unclear yet who will occupy the post. Perhaps it could be Kim Yo-jong, Kim Jong-un's sister, or it could be Cho Ryong-hae, who is currently serving as the de facto head of the legislative branch, or it could be the rising star of North Korean politics, Jo Young-won. No one knows for sure. While some argue that this position will be merely administrative, it is still worth noting that it will be officially a second-in-command position within the party. If you ask me, though, such a reform is truly extraordinary. 
It would be as if North Korea suddenly decided to re-establish the position of vice president, a completely unprecedented political event if you take the last 40 years of its political development. That change, however, goes hand in hand with broader attempts at decentralization in the party. For example, references to, quote, the party's unitary leadership system, unquote, in this rulebook are often replaced with, quote, the party center's unitary leadership, unquote. What is even more interesting is the trend of depersonalization of the institutional setting. The personal names of the former leaders, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il, are now replaced with a reference to great leaders, while Kim Jong-un's name is also replaced with the party center in almost all texts. The latter trend with Kim Jong-un has a broader dimension to it. The leader's name is being replaced not only in party documents, but also in the state propaganda. The cult of personality, ironically, is becoming slightly less personified, but more party-oriented. This development could also be viewed as a step of transitioning to the model of collective leadership, like in Vietnam or China of the 1990s and 2000s. What we can infer from here is that Kim Jong-un and his closest circles aim for official decentralization of power in North Korea. Combined with the rumors about Kim Jong-un's poor health and real evidence such as permanent smoking, obesity and a lot of stress, this offers us a rather grim picture of the political developments in Pyongyang. It looks like the elites are preparing for the worst case scenario, potential incapacitation of Kim Jong-un or even his death. The second group of amendments touches upon what I would describe as ideological foundations of domestic and foreign policy. In the area of domestic policies, the party's, quote, leadership of revolution and construction, unquote, finally dropped references to Kim Jong-il's ideology of Songun, or military first policy. Songun was replaced with people first policy, a clear reference to Kim Jong-un's effort at reforming the economy and raising the living standards of the North Korean populace in 2012-2019. This should be perhaps cautiously interpreted as a positive sign. That said, we shouldn't be overly optimistic as Thomas Schaefer, the former German ambassador to the DPRK, carefully reminds us. After all, the hardliners are still a dominant faction in Pyongyang. Another ideological peculiarity is a couple of new references to communism, an ideology which seemed to have been largely forgotten by the DPRK until today. So far, it seems to be unclear whether these were made of nostalgia for Kim Il-sung's times as a curtsy to the brotherly CPC in Beijing or for some other reason. Perhaps there is no meaning behind those references at all. In terms of foreign policy, the most significant changes happened in the area of inter-Korean relations and relations with Japan and US. Specifically, the party's pledge to destroy Japan's militarism and stop its effort to reinvade the Korean peninsula was dropped. The idea of carrying out a, quote, democratic revolution for the national liberation on a nationwide scale, unquote, as well as supporting South Korean efforts at democratization, were dropped too. Instead, the VPK will focus on establishing a prosperous and civilized socialist society in the northern half of the peninsula. 
It seems that Pyongyang officially accepts the fact that their reunification is not happening anytime soon, although that has been made clear since the early 1990s. That said, the idea of clearing out American political and military influence over South Korea was kept, since it remains one of the key goals of the contemporary foreign policy of the DPRK. Overall, the party drops the most bizarre, unrealistic and irrelevant policy goals, becoming slightly less confrontational in its rhetoric, but not in its essence. In a way, this approach is quite similar to the first group of amendments, because both of them aim at making North Korea look more normal and less bizarrely totalitarian and aggressive. Finally, there is the third group of what I could describe as administrative or organizational changes. First and foremost, the party congress, like the one in January, will now be held regularly, every five years. Furthermore, Politburo Presidium members can now chair Politburo meetings if they were authorized by the General Secretary, that is, Kim Jong-un. In those cases, they can discuss urgent matters in politics, economy and military affairs, as well as discuss appointing and dismissing important figures in the party and in the government. Again, to my mind, those are additional indicators of decentralization of power at the administrative level. Smaller changes took place as well. For example, institutionalism, bureaucratism and corruption were listed as the crimes that should be fought within the party. New types of punishments, such as temporary suspensions from the party, were added to the rulebook too. There have been dozens of other changes about which you can read on NK News or on the official North Korean websites like that of Rodong Shinmun. These outlets will cover those changes in greater detail if you are interested. I can also send you a copy of the updated Korean version of the rulebook, just drop me a message. These three clusters of changes, though, have been the most important ones to my mind. But perhaps you could find something that interests you too. What do these changes mean, cumulatively? Well, North Korea seems to be slowly preparing itself for significant political changes. As I mentioned before, many of these changes likely have something to do with Kim Jong-un's health and potential threat of his sudden death or incapacitation. Since there are various political factions within the circle of North Korean elites, this institutionalization might prevent the system from unraveling completely if Kim Jong-un as the supreme arbiter is out. Unlike his father, Kim Jong-un has no grown-up children or groomed successors who could replace him immediately. The North Korean elites, therefore, want to make sure that the political system remains stable even without a clearly designated successor. They are no fools, which is why they are also preparing for multiple scenarios, especially the worst-case scenarios. Hence, the country's political system is slowly drifting towards institutionalization. One could say that it is a slightly positive political development in the North Korean political context. After all, progressing from a totalitarian dictatorship to an oligarchy is a limited, but still an improvement. In terms of foreign policy, it will likely mean less aggressive confrontation with the United States, South Korea and Japan for the time being. It seems quite likely that the DPRK will focus on domestic issues related to the coronavirus crisis relief as well as the ongoing political rearrangements. All that will be performed for ensuring the status quo. What do you think though? 
Is North Korea heading for a big political transformation? Or are those changes nothing but a way to conserve the country's rigid political system? Leave your opinion in the comments below or in the review section. If you liked this episode, please leave a positive review on the podcast platform like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Or make a donation on the podcast website www.askmeabouttbrk.wordpress.com Also, feel free to provide your feedback on this episode's quality and ask any questions about North Korea that you might have. Thank you for listening, stay healthy, and stay tuned.